All right, folks, we're in lesson four today in First Timothy. We're looking at chapter two now. We finished up chapter one, and we're going to be heading into chapter two. We're going to look particularly at verses one to seven. And today we're going to talk about something that all of us struggle with. All of us have really, to be honest with you, a hard time with the topic that we're going to be looking at today. Because in reality, when we talk about this topic, it really is hard work. Although there are times when we think that it's easy, a lot of times, though, we find that it is difficult. And what we're going to talk about today is prayer. Prayer. And so we're going to look at these seven verses. You're actually going to be surprised by some of the things that Paul's going to tell us to do with regards to prayer. So let's look at the passage. So first of all, we're going to look through verses 1 through 7. In particular, we're going to focus right now on the exhortation of verse 1. So notice what he says there in verse 1. He says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. So the first thing I want you to see here is he's going to stress what the first priority is. So Paul points out to Timothy what should be his first priority. What should be his first priority? Now, when you think about that, if you think about you and I, we've been in church, some of you have been in church a long time, you've been in different churches, what are some of the things that have that you remember that have been stressed as a priority with regards to your Christian life? What are some things that you've heard that have been a priority with regards to your Christian life? Okay, evangelism. Yes, that's a major one. You always hear that. We're supposed to be about the kingdom business, winning souls for Jesus. Okay. Prayer. Yes, we're going to talk about that in a moment. That's actually what we should be looking for here. And then, of course, yeah, forgiveness. We should be a forgiving people. But I want you to notice that what he's going to stress here to Timothy is that his first priority as a minister of Christ, is to be praying, prayer. In fact, we see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Remember, they were having difficulties with the distribution to the certain widows, and the apostles were saying, you know what, we can't focus our energy on the work. We have, we have a different priority. In fact, this is what Acts chapter 6, verse 4 says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So it's listing two priorities there, prayer, which is what Paul is emphasizing in our passage here today, and the ministry of the word, that is the proclaiming the teaching of the gospel. So then the last part of verse 1, you're going to see what he's exhorting him as far as this priority, prayer. Look at what he says. Timothy is told that all manner of prayers and thanksgiving must be made for all men. Timothy is told that all manners of prayer and thanksgiving must be made 
for all men. So I want you to notice a couple things there. Number one, he's saying all manners of prayer. So if you look there, he lists them. He says supplications. That's requesting things, prayers, intercession. That's lifting up the needs of other people. So you and I are to go to God with all different manners of prayers, whether it's long prayers, short prayers. You and I are to be praying people. With that, we're to be thankful. We are to give thanksgiving to God. Why? Giving thanksgiving to God basically puts a proper perspective in our lives that we owe everything to him and we need him. So when he provides for us, we're thankful So we see that he's basically told to give all manners of prayer for all men. And I want you to notice that last section there, all men. Who's that? Everybody. Everybody. I had a professor in school when I was at Liberty. He was a Bible professor, and he would say, all means all, and that's all all means. So it means everyone. So you and I are to be praying for everyone, everyone, the people that you like, even the people that you don't like, because who is it that we have a hard time praying for? We have a hard time praying for those who are our what? Enemies. In fact, if we do pray for them, we're we're praying zap them prayers. God, zap them. They're hurting me. God, take care of them. But no, we're to bless those who, who are in opposition to us, Jesus tells us. So there we see the exhortation. We're to give focus to the first priority, prayer, by praying all manners of prayer for everyone. Now, when we get to verse 2, he's going to be a little bit more specific about who our prayers should be for. We're to pray for all, everybody, but you and I are to pray specifically for someone or some people that we see here in verse 2. So look with me at verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable... that, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness... And reverence. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. Number one, as we look at this section here, we're to pray for kings. Paul tells Timothy that we are to pray for those who are in authority over us. You and I are to pray for those who are in authority over us, whether you like them or not. Because, you know, if you think about it, in in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we have Governor Wolf who is a Democrat, we're in the United States, we have President Trump, who is a Republican. Now, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you like either one of those guys or you don't like any of those guys, really isn't the issue. The fact of the matter is, is that no matter who's in authority, you are to be praying for them. And again, not praying the Zappum prayers. Well, you say, well, you know, I have a hard time grasping that, George. Why should I do that? Well, let's remember something about the Apostle Paul. He's writing Timothy after he's already experienced one imprisonment by the Romans where he had to appear before Nero. He has been beaten by authorities. He has been brought before judges. 
he has experienced persecution at the hands of those who are in authority. Now, I think that's interesting. He is one who does not agree with the course of ungodly men and how they lead the world around him. But he is the one who, even though he's experiencing that, says that you and I are to pray for those who are in authority. We're to pray for those who are in authority. So you are to pray. It's really not an option. He's telling you it's our priority. Pray for everyone. Pray for those who are in authority. Why? We're to pray for them so that we can lead our lives in peace and quiet. We are to pray for them so that we can lead our lives in peace and quiet. Why am I praying for this guy I don't like? Why am I praying for this leader I don't like? Why am I praying for this system that I don't like or I'm not happy with? Why am I praying for that? Well, because you want to lead a peaceful and quiet life here. That's the whole reason. The whole reason I'm praying for them is not for my political agenda. The whole reason that I'm praying is so that I'm able to lead a quiet, peaceable life. In fact, this is emphasized throughout the New Testament when it comes to the whole issue of how we are to function in the society, in the culture in which we live, you see often in the New Testament it talks about praying for those in authority so that we can lead quiet, peaceable lives. Bottom line, quiet, peaceable lives. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm praying. Not just for myself to lead a quiet, peaceable life, for others around me, for folks in my church. Now, to understand this, why we're to pray like this, he's going to tell us God's view in verses 3 through 6. He's going to tell us God's view. So I want you to notice with me what he's saying there. Chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, when he's talking about this whole issue of praying for everyone around us, and he's talking about this issue of praying for those in who are kings and who are in authority over us, and the purpose for these type of prayers is so that you and I can lead quiet and peaceable lives, I want you to notice that he's going to give us God's view here concerning this whole issue of praying in this way, and here's what he says. He basically affirms, Paul affirms, basically he's saying, Paul points out that praying in this way is good and acceptable to God. Paul points out that praying in this way is good and acceptable to God. I think that's an interesting phrase, good and acceptable. Because if you, it reminds me of all the way back over in the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, where it talks about not being conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you are able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. So here we have an instance where we're told what is the good and acceptable thing to God, and that is what? That you and I pray for everyone, those we like, those we don't like, enemies, friends, those who are in authority, whether we like them or not. Why? So that we can lead quiet and peaceable lives. This is, from God's point of view, what is acceptable, what is good to him. Something to think about. You can almost almost say this is God's will for us, to pray for each other, to pray for those who are in authority, those who are in our culture, whether we like them or not. Why? Why am I to pray this way? Well, he goes on in verse 4 and talks about the desire of God. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is the heartbeat of God. Listen, it is God's desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It's his desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. You, you really want to know what God's purpose, his desire is? It's not to judge the whole world. It's not to send people to hell. It's not to condemn them. It's not to punish you when you do wrong. It's not to throw the heavy, big hammer down on people. God's desire is that all people, every human being who is in existence, would be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. Now, stop for a moment. Now do you see why we need to pray for everyone? Now do you see why when we look back at verse 1 that we're to what? First of all, supplications, prayer, intercession, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Why am I praying for all men? So that they would come to a knowledge of truth so that they would be saved from their sins, so that they would come to their senses. That's God's desire. God's desire is for people to come to Jesus. I think that, that lines up with the Old Testament and the prophets. He talks about that he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. God doesn't take any delight in sending anybody to hell. He doesn't. In fact, he goes on to explain that desire of God by talking about this truth, the knowledge of truth. What is the truth here that we're to give them an understanding of, that we're to pray that they have an understanding of? Well, the truth is talking about the person of Jesus Christ. So God, Paul affirms, so Paul affirms that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. So first thing he's going to affirm is, is that there's only one God, period. One God, only one God. I know that there are, there are people groups, cultures around the world that would say there are many gods. There's only one God. And there's only one person who stands between us and that God. There is only one person who intercedes between us and that God. There's only one person who mediates, who brings reconciliation between us and that God. That's what Paul's saying here. There's only one mediator. Now, this is an, this, this is an important point concerning salvation, that there's only one Mediator. So here's what I want you to understand. You need to understand, this is very important, 
when it comes to the issue of salvation, there is only one person who can bring that about. There's only one person who can bring about reconciliation with God. So what does that mean? That means that there are no other ways. It means that there is no other focus on how to get to heaven. Well, I'll just get to heaven on my own. No, no, there's only one way. There's only one way of coming to the Father, and that is through this mediator. Who is who? Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 5, Paul points out that the mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. The person who is the one who brings reconciliation between God and man. And the reason why reconciliation has to take place is because we sinned against God. Therefore, we incurred God's wrath against us. We incurred the penalty of death. And the one who, who brings reconciliation between the two is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Our mediator. In fact, he goes on in verse 6, and he talks about how that mediation took place. How is it that Jesus Christ brought reconciliation between God and man? Here's what I want to look at verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What's he saying here? First of all, he points out that as the mediator... Jesus Christ gave himself a ransom for all. He gave his life basically to pay the ransom because we were in the bondage of sin headed to hell. He spared us from what was awaiting us rightfully because of our sin. He offered his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, for our sin, and, and he goes on and he describes this testimony as being, look at the last part there, verse 6, this ransom as being testified in due time. What's he saying there? This sacrifice was to be a clear testimony of God's desire for all men at the right time. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about that this sacrifice, Jesus dying 2,000 years ago, was at the right time in history and is at the right time for all of us heading into the future, this testimony of the sacrifice and the need for men to embrace that truth for salvation was given at the right time for all to hear and respond. Was given for all to hear and respond. Now it's because of this testimony that he's saying, being given, Paul now reflects on his calling. Look with me at verse 7. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. For I was appointed a preacher of the gospel. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, here's what I want you to see. First of all, his purpose. He was appointed as a preacher and apostle because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, 
my whole reason for being here, my whole reason for coming to you, my whole reason for doing the ministry that I'm doing, he said, I was appointed, I was put into this position to proclaim this testimony, this truth that is needed for all men to come to Christ. Because that's the desire of God. God's desire is that all men experience salvation and come to the knowledge of truth. And the only way that they can do that is by having someone like me being appointed to share with them about Jesus. So he was appointed a preacher and an apostle. In fact, he goes on and he wants to stress that point there in the beginning part of verse 7, Paul affirms that he is speaking the truth and not lying about his calling. He wants, he wants Timothy to understand, he wants his readers to understand that he's not lying about this whole issue. He is appointed to share the gospel with others so that men and women, whoever they are throughout the world, can come to a knowledge of truth and experience salvation. So then he goes on and says specifically who his ministries to. This is who he was appointed to. Paul states that he was appointed a teacher for the Gentiles concerning truth and faith. He's going to go on, he's going to say, you know, I'm not just here for everybody. There are other men who are appointed to certain groups, like the other, the, the 12 who were there, the 12 apostles, their ministry was with the Jews. He goes on and says, look, my ministry specifically was with a certain group of people, Gentiles, and making sure that they understand truth and faith in Jesus Christ. So once you think about that, think about, you know, here's our church. We're one church among 10 in our community here. Why are we here? Who is it that we are appointed to minister to? Who is it that we are appointed to reach out to in our community? Because that is true. Think about that. I want you to think about that and let me know what your thoughts are. I want you to think about who we are appointed to. Appointed to. Now, next week, we're going to talk about church. We're going to talk about the different roles people have in church. What are their functions in church? So this is where he's going to get very practical with the roles of different people in church. And we're going to look at that next week.